0: morning, we're going to be looking at Joshua. What a fascinating book this is. And in Joshua, Christ is conqueror. In the volume of the book, it's written of me, the Lord tells us. From Genesis, he was creator. Job, he's almighty. Exodus, he's the deliverer. Leviticus, he's instructor. Numbers, he was the leader. Deuteronomy, he's ruler. In Joshua, he's the he is conqueror. And as we're going to see more specifically, he is, uh, he, uh, he is captain of the host. Captain of the host. And what a position that is. We covered the Pentateuch plus Job here in the last several weeks. Uh, that ends the Pentateuch or the Torah. Today we're going to start with the first of the historical books. Joshua. Joshua through Esther, it, those are the historical books. From Joshua to Esther covers nearly a thousand years. And during that thousand years, we have judges and we have kings. We have a divided kingdom. Uh, all of that is covered in these uh, historical books from Judges. To Esther, I think it's important to understand and realize that, that Joshua is, is the bridge that connects uh, Israel's past outside the land with Israel's history inside the land. Uh, it's important to understand that in Joshua you read and you study and you see the promises of God to Israel, to his chosen nation, If they obey, if they keep his word, if they love him and not put any other gods before him. And as you study the other books, you're going to see that that is exactly what they didn't do. They, in short order, put other gods before him. And that is the one sin. The very first commandment is, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. See God knew the danger of them going into the promised land. He knew the the kings and the people and the nations that existed in the land. There had already been a separate a second eruption in that land of satanic forces. And all of the evil and the wickedness and the perversion that existed there and all the false gods that were worshipped there, including Baal. And that's significant that you understand because Baal was the god of rain. And we're not going to go into all that signified to these perverted people uh, as they worshipped Baal. But you can use your imagination and he was the god of, uh, of rain and and being fertile, and all of the things that went on uh, in that religious experience. And so when they come to the Jordan to cross over, one of the things that we're going to see is the people of Jericho, the people in the land, they were pretty confident because that time of year, Jer- the river Jordan was flooded, and nobody, nobody crossed over. That's part of it there. Oh, that's not, the, that's not one? Well, we're going to show you what it's like during uh, the harvest time when they crossed over. See, the, their confidence was in Baal. It's, he's the God of rain. He protects us. And the true God of heaven is going, you want to bet? You want to bet? And we're going to look at that miracle in just a second. But from Joshua to Esther, you have starts out with God's promises. Uh, uh, be faithful, serve me, and this is all that I'm going to do to bless you. I want to be your God. I want you to have the testimony of the true and living God, and your blessings are going to show the rest of the world that I am the true God of heaven. And my power that's going to direct you, my protection over you, it's going to show the rest of the Gentile Gentile nations that I'm the true God of heaven. Israel, you're going to be my testimony. You're going to be my peculiar people. You're going to be my nation of priests. And I'm going to show the Gentile nations just how powerful and mighty I am. And I'm going to do it through you. That's basically the first book. The last book of these historical books shows Israel and Judah at this time, because the kingdom has already been divided, we find them in captivity. Kind of a sad commentary, isn't it? In captivity, on the verge of extinction. All the Jews are about to be eradicated. But God raises up Esther. Works a miracle, literally a miracle. So we have the promise, we start out with the promises of God do this, obey, and live. And the last one, they're in captivity, about to be eradicated, and God steps forward once again. And each one of those books are important as we look to see Christ in each one dealing with his chosen people. What stands out to me as we study this book, what just stands out in such a mighty way is the faithfulness of God throughout the whole process. His faithfulness to keep His word in spite of Israel's rebellion, in spite of their disobedience, He is faithful. And I pray that you praise him for that very fact. That you do not serve a fickle God. You serve a jealous God, but you don't serve a fickle God. You don't serve a God that wakes up one morning and says, I am sick and tired of those people. But he remains faithful. And he's worthy of our praise and our worship, our adoration, our service, our obedience. And we even have it so much better than the children of Israel as we stand in God's grace and mercy. I mean, it was still God's grace that that saved them, but there were certain requirements that they had to do in order that, that to demonstrate their faith. And today, in this dispensation of the grace of God, our faith we demonstrate in and the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work on Calvary's cross and we stand perfect in Christ. We stand righteous in Christ. And we're going to be pointing out some of those things as we go along. But turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Let's look at verse 5. Joshua 1 verse 5. Here's a promise that God is making to Joshua himself. There shall not be any, and there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Wow. That's quite a promise, isn't it? And we see evidence of that. Look at Joshua chapter 5. I was going to wait on this one, but I'm going to go ahead because I think it fits. Look at Joshua 5. Verse 13 and a few verses following, it shows what a man of faith Joshua was. Keep that verse in mind. Verse 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee. Gonna kind of get an idea who this Joshua is. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him. Yeah, over against him literally means confronting him, standing in his way. with his sword drawn. That's got to mean something in his hand. And Joshua went unto him. See, I think I would have been finding a place to hide. I think I would have been finding an escape route. But Joshua sees this man standing before him, confronting him, With a sword in his hand. And he says unto him. Joshua says unto this man. Art thou for us. Or for our adversaries. See Joshua had the courage to do this. To say that. Because to Joshua this is just another man. That God's going to have to get rid of. This is just another individual. That God's going to have to move out of the way. This is just someone else that God's going to have to deal with because after all, started out saying, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee and Joshua saying, are you for us or are you against us? See, I don't think it mattered to Joshua that he had his sword in his hand. I don't think it mattered to Joshua that he was impeding him going forward because he knew what God had said. No man's going to be able to stand. But boy, when he found out who this man was, that changed everything but for the good. Verse 14, and this man said, No, but as captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. You're in the land, people. I'm your captain of the host, and I'm ready to get things started. I'm ready to go to battle for you. I'm ready to see that every promise that was ever made to you is about to be fulfilled. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Oh, wow. It kind of leaves you wishing there had been a whole lot more told about what happened right there. I want to start with Joshua saying, who are you? Joshua standing up against this figure. And when he realizes who this person is, that it was the Lord Jesus Christ himself in a precarnate form. He fell on his face to worship. This is not just the angel of the Lord. This is not just an angel. This was Christ himself. There, would, there is no angel that would say, yeah, bow down and worship me. This captain of the host received worship from Joshua. Go back to Joshua 1, verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Boy, did Joshua demonstrate that. For unto this people shalt I divide for an inheritance the land, which I swore unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, in that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper wheresoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, and thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed: for the Lord thy God is with thee wherever thou goest. Joshua's attitude, Joshua's reaction is to go back to the camp and said, "Get ready, we're going." Going to obey God, he's going to be of good courage. He told the people there, "We're about to pass over the land that's been provided." Get all your victuals, get all your possessions, get everything packed up. We are about to go. In verse 16 of chapter 1, it says, They answered, All that you command us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. That's quite a commitment. Was to Moses, now is to Joshua. By the way, just as Moses was a type of Christ, very much so, so is Joshua. Matter of fact, his name is Yahshua. In the New Testament, it's pronounced Jesus. But here, Joseph, uh, uh, Joshua is an absolute type of Christ. And he is going to lead the people through. And when they come up to the Jordan River, You talk about that's just going to strengthen the people's admiration and trust in Joshua. As a matter of fact, God is going to do such a mighty work there at the Jordan River. It is incredible, and it's even the people are going to say, certainly, surely, we serve the living God. Look what he's done. So Joshua tells the people to get ready. But before they go, there are two things that they have to do. Number one is, they want to get, well, three things actually. Number one, they're going to send spies into the land to check it out, to kind of get a pulse of the people, to find out what, what are the people thinking. And so these two spies go, and we know the story of Rahab the harlot. And I think these two men went to the house of the harlot because men were going in and out of there all the time. It was no no big deal to see men going in and out of her house, unfortunately. But they would be less likely noticed going into her house. But the king of Jericho did notice. And people did notice. And so he sent people there to Rahab who was a Gentile and said where are those two men who came here to seek out the land and kind of get an idea of what's going on and she said I I," they came but then they left and I don't know where they went well she was hiding them up up on the roof she was hiding them on the roof and they got a really good idea from Rahab uh, uh, exactly what was happening because she said in verse 8 of chapter 2 this was before they laid down before they fell asleep and she said unto the men i know that the lord that jehovah hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you We've heard how the Lord dried up the river, the water, the water of the Red Sea for you, and that you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites. And there were on the other side Jordan, Sion, and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we have heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. That was the story. That was the point that God wanted to make as He worked through Israel. I want everyone to know that the God you serve is the true and living God. And He proved it in an amazing amazing manner. So Rahab gave them the idea of what was going on. And she said, but please save me and my family and my father and the, and the people here in our house. And the two spies says, we'll do that. But you can't tell anybody what we're up to, where we've gone. And she said, I, I won't. And so Rahab had this scarlet rope And she lowered that rope over her house. And these two spies climbed down that red or scarlet rope. And the two spies told her that when we come, you put this out your window. That is going to be an indication that you're here. And that our pledge, our promise, what we swear unto you will come. Come about, you will be safe, and your family will be safe. Kind of reminds you of the Passover, right? When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. I think God loves scarlet color, because it represents the blood of our Savior. And so they said, when we see that scarlet rope, when we see that scarlet thread, we'll know to save you and your household. And that's exactly what they did. And they go back and they tell Joshua, they're shaking, they're frightened, they're scared. Kind of a different story. These two spies that went in came back and said, let's go. Remember the 12 spies came in and 10 of them went back and went, oh, we, we can't take this land. The only thing it changed was 40 years in the wilderness, a new generation. These were, these were a new generation. All of those old that old generation had passed away. God was about to take this new generation into, into the land. They spied it out. They got ready to go, and the first thing they did is said, there was no circumcisions that took place in the wilderness. I think that's interesting, too, but there were no circumcisions. We need to have a circumcision. That thing that identified Israel, that signified that they belonged to God, that's what circumcision did. And so all the males were circumcised. And the Bible says after they had time to heal up, the next thing they did is they had the Lord, they had uh, the Passover? Kind of gives you an idea of what time of the year it was. They had the Passover, and after they had the Passover, it was time to go. They observed the Passover. They did a, the, the circumcision was done. The Passover it tells you it was Nisan the fourteenth in April, and it got time to go. There's only one obstacle. Only one obstacle that was the jordan river it was the river that separated the children of israel for taking over the promised land and this river was flooded and we're not talking about a trickle we're talking about the jordan river during this time of the year is like a flash flood tim show some of those pictures that slide can you make that up That's the Jordan River during this time of the year. How would you like to cross over that? or another one? or that Now if you maybe if you like white water rafting, but just to walk across it, one more, don't you? you have one more? See that be a major undertaking. So what was it going to require in order to cross that Jordan? Faith. Faith. Trust in God to do exactly what He said He was going to do. Look at chapter 3, starting with verse 1. And Joshua rose up early in the morning... And they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. Basically telling them, it's time to go. It's time to go. And they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord your God and the priest... The Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after. Now what's interesting about that? What led them before? Things had just changed dramatically. Before, when they were supposed to leave, pack it up and go, what indication did they have? There was a cloud or fire. When they would see that move, okay, it was time to go, and they would go. Now it's something totally different. Talk about a change. Now it's you're following that mercy seat. You're following that Ark of the Covenant. You're following the promises of God to do what He said He was going to do. Folks, that's significant. Not when you see the cloud, not when you see the pillar of fire, but when you see that thing that represents the promises of God, you follow but you don't get too close. You don't get too close. You've got to stay at least a half a mile away. Because it's that powerful. It represents the glory of God there, I believe. They comm- verse 3, And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant, contained in that Ark of Covenant, three main things. We've talked about this. The law, which represents the holiness of God, the manna, which represents the provision of God, and Aaron's rod, which represented the power of God. Those three things were in that ark. And they were following that. And the priest of the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be space between you and it, and two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. And the fact that they're going to follow it in this fashion shows the maturity level of these people. This generation. And, and the entire time that Joseph is alive, and those elders that he trained were alive, Israel's going to follow after God. They're going to obey Him. Ah, we get to judge as things start changing. But this generation, they are sincere about their following God. And Joshua spoke unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant, and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Which, by the way, was flooding. It was like rapids. It was like dangerous. Talk about faith. Talk about trusting God. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites uh, Perizzites and the uh, Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passes over before you into Jordan, the promised land. Now, therefore, take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribal man, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord. The Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. But what did the priest have to do first? They had to step in. There was no, Lord, you stop the waters and then we'll step in. There was no, you do it first and then we'll believe. No, it was, they stepped. That was an act of faith. And God did exactly what he said he was going to do. The waters, and the Jordan was deep, the Jordan is wide. And especially this time of the year. But they had to step in. And It came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priest bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. And as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan and the feet of the priest that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. For Jordan overflows all of his banks at the time of harvest. But not now. And by the way, again, they thought they were safe because who was the God of rain? Baal. They trusted in Baal. They can't come to us because the river's flooded. Thank you, Baal. Uh-uh. God is saying, <laughs> he's not real. He, he, don't put your faith and trust in him Let me show you who the true God of heaven is. And I think that's why Joshua kept mentioning who the true God of heaven and earth is. It's not their flimsy little gods. Remember back in Egypt, the ten plagues? Those ten plagues were directed toward each one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. He's doing the same to Baal here that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city of Adam. It was quite a ways, by the way. It was quite a ways from Adam to where they crossed there, uh, getting into Jericho. That is beside Jericho. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed over against Jericho on dry ground. I don't think it was even muddy. And the priest that bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed over Jordan. So not only did he hold the water back, it was dry. I'm going to tell you something. Only the true God of heaven... Only the true God of earth could have done something like this. And he did it to show himself strong on behalf of his people. Trust me. Take me at my word. See what it is I'm capable of doing. Then they crossed over. And as they crossed over, God instructed them to take 12 stones, he assigned 12 men to take big stones to bring with them as memorials that were at the bottom of the, of the river. Those, those stones, they were to pick up and they were to bring with them and they were to make a memorial. They were to get there and, and place those stones as they crossed, as a memorial, as a sign to their children later when their children say, what are those stones? You can remind them of the faithfulness of your God. Twelve stones representing the twelve tribes that were crossing over. God representing God's promises to what He was going going to do. How important those stones were for a Indication of the faithfulness of God. By the way, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter refers to those scattered Jews addressing the scattered there in 1 Peter. He tells them to be living stones, being living testimony of the faithfulness of your God. I think he goes all the way back to this right here. These stones are a testimony. When people see these stones, they're going to know that God is real. His promises are real because you went over on dry ground. What a miracle. And Peter tells in 2 Peter, you be living stones. You be a witness of the faithfulness of God. verse 13, Chapter 4, 40,000 of those men crossed over, and they prepared for war. They prepared for war. They were just getting started, but they didn't have anything to fear, because you know who was leading them? The captain of the host. Wow. Wow. The captain of the host. Look at verse 24 of chapter 4. That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that it might fear, that you might fear the Lord your God. Chapter 5 again is where we have circumcision is practiced. I got ahead of myself. It's after they cross over in the land, then they practice circumcision. There on this day, Nisan the 14th. They celebrate the first Passover in the land. You don't think that wasn't important? And look at verse 12 of chapter 5. Something else happened, I think significant. All of a sudden, they started eating the produce from the land, the corn, no more manna. The manna stopped. Now, just that scripture will preach i got to tell you, if we had more time, we'd spend... But what, that signifies that there was a change of coming and that God was going to deal with His people and His expectation of them and His promises to them were going to be fulfilled. But it was also a sign to them, you're no longer in the wilderness you're no longer dependent upon me like you were in the wilderness. You're in the promised land. Now trust these promises of God. And that's exactly what happened. And then the next is when Christ appears as the captain of host. There were three major military campaigns in the book of Joshua. Three military campaigns. fighting 30 different armies. Fighting 30 different armies. One of them, Israel didn't do so well. Because one man did something that he shouldn't have done. And it shows you how intense God is on them obeying him. He took one of their pagan signs, one of their pagan images, one of their pagan uh, worship, their idols, and he hid it. God knew he hid it. And God punished them. They had a defeat at Ai. And that guy came forward and he said, you know, this this is the reason. And judgment was immediate. They stoned that guy. And then they went back out and fought that nation again, that king again, and they defeated them. See, that was again that 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 was just as important in getting the message across. Chapter eight, we have the renewal of the covenant with these people. He blesses them, and there's failures. There are failures. There, are, they divide the land. Part they 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 go through there, they have more battles, they divide the land, they set the boundaries. But the thing I want to remind you of is after they were in the land, after they fought the battles, after they were there to create their homeland, which God had promised them. And I got news for any news commentator, any politician, Anyone who tries to limit the land that Israel owns that belongs to them, they need to take that up with God. Because God describes vividly which land is theirs. And no one will ever take that land from them again. I guarantee you. I was reading something just the other day uh, and during the research and it just irks me. The liberal press and people, they, they talk about Palestine, and they talk about Jordan, uh, Jordan, and they talk about this and that. When they, when they talk about Israel, it's occupying Israel, the, the land that Israel occupies. If you don't think that's not of Satan, If you don't think that's not of the devil, who do you think puts that kind of garbage in their mind and their heart? They can't hardly say anything when it comes to Israel being in the land without using that word occupied. But I've got news for them it's theirs. It's theirs. And God's getting ready to show just how much it is theirs. But Joshua sends a message out. There, there are so many things going on here uh, with Joshua being a type of, being a type of Christ. And his name is Yeshua. Uh, uh, he leads the people triumphantly. Uh, he, he does all of those things. It's such a blessing, and God works through him. In Joshua 24, look at verse 14. This is Joshua, one of his final messages to the children of Israel. Now, therefore, fear Jehovah, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if, it seem, and, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, you choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. Wow, what a message. What a stand. What a testimony. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Verse 24, And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. See, God had proved himself faithful. All the way through this, we had seen God at work, dealing and working with his people. And as you read through this, it, it sort of reminds you of some scripture that we need to apply to our own lives. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. Remember 1 Corinthians 10 tells us all the things that happened to these people were for an example. We're supposed to learn a lesson of what not to do. But Hebrews chapter 13 verse 6 so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. What a lesson! What a truth! The Lord is my helper, and as we've talked about before, that word "helper" there—it's—it's it's tied to when um, that, that same word is when Paul was being shipwrecked, and they did the frapping of the ship to hold the ship together. It's the same word. The Lord is the one that holds me together. He is my helper. He is my frapping. He's the one that keeps me from falling apart. Just as they had to frap that ship and and ropes around it to keep that ship that Paul was sailing on when the storm came and kept him from falling apart. It's the same thing here. They can boldly say, the Lord is the one that holds me together. He's the one that keeps me from falling apart. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Next book over, James My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. How important it is that we trust God in anything and everything that we're going through. God's on his throne. And the same God that delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, the same God that provided for them in the wilderness, the same God that dried the Jordan River up and said, take that, bale," the same God who blessed, the same God who judges, is the God we serve, the God we love, the God we preach, the God we cling to. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation works patience. And patience experience. And experience hope. And hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. You know what that verse is saying is that the children of Israel did they fall into tri- tribulation, did they fall under hard times and difficult times? You bet they did. But each when they crossed over the Red Sea, do you think that experience gave them hope the next time they faced an enemy? It absolutely did. When they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Did that experience mean anything to them? What did they, what was proven? That they can walk a long way? <laughs> That's not what was proven. What was proven is that God is faithful. When he came to the Red Sea, uh, Jordan River. All of these things Glory in tribulations. When things aren't going the way they need to go for you, you glory in that tribulation. Lord, how are you going to be glorified? How are you going to be honored? That tribulation is going to work patience because I'm going to trust in you. I'm not going to try to make things happen on my own. My hope, my confidence, my faith is in you. Knowing that that tribulation works patience. Patience because you're going to see the hand of God work and do miracles. Told you we worship the same God. Patience experience and experience hope. See, you, you experience something and God works it out for His glory so you know the next time something comes on, and something's always going to come on. There's always going to be another battle. There's always going to be another issue. There's all, But you know what you find out each time? There's always going to be another Goliath. There's always going to be another Jordan. There's always going to be another something. But God's promise is I'm going to use this to show you I'm real. Isn't that amazing? An amazing God we serve. In Joshua, Christ is conqueror. And boy, does he. The captain of the host. And he shows himself to be so real. And He's not done showing himself to be real. He didn't just show himself to be real then and said, okay, that's it. God's still showing himself to be real. And today in this dispensation of the grace of God, we can see the hand of God moving during times of tribulation and difficulty. That's why I don't fear tomorrow. I don't don't fear Russia. I don't fear the Great Reset. I don't, I don't fear the globalist. I feel sorry for them. If I feel anything, it's sorry. They're going to fall into the hands of a living God. That's, that's the ones, that's, that's my, if I feel anything, it's not fear, it's sorrow. Because I know what waits. I know my God is on, a, on the, His throne. I know that the tomb is empty. I know that this is real. And I'm going to tell you something and then we'll be done. I'm going to tell you something, you better watch, it's coming, there is going to be more and more persecution, there is going to be more and more denial of this being true, and what's going to bring it about is the fact that we're saying we're living in the last days. Folks, you better get ready, the rapture is about to take place, and a skeptical world is going, these guys are crazy. There are even preachers, Marge brought me something today to read, there are even preachers, Baptist preachers, that are criticizing those who say that the rapture is close. That look at all that's going on as an indication that the stage may be, none of of the ones that I know are coming up with dates, they're just saying, could this be it? Could this be it? And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm sure they were saying it during World War II. I think they were saying it before then. Is this, could this be it? This could be it. But I think we would be remiss if we didn't during this time sound the alarm and tell people, this could be it, folks. There is so much that's going on. It's incredible how the pieces are just starting to come together. And you know what really surprises me? Maybe one of these days I'll preach on it after we're done with this in a year or so. Um, There are leaders around the world right now that are being made such national heroes that spout some things that are not good. And the world is bowing and praising and putting on pedestals. When I have some serious doubt about just who these guys are, what their agenda and what their motives are. It's it's chaotic. Except in Christ. And we can just go, thank you, Lord. You're in charge. My faith, my trust, my hope is in you. If you can dry up the Jordan, you can settle my heart. And God's not given us the spirit of fear, but that doesn't mean we don't get afraid. God, fear is not from the Lord. He doesn't give us the spirit of fear, but that doesn't mean we don't get afraid. Right, Christian? Let's be honest, Right? But I also know he gives a peace that passes understanding. With all this happening, I'm just glad I'm on the Lord's side. And I pray this morning you are too. Not that I'm on the Lord's side, but you're glad you're on the Lord's side. And that you know him. That he's Savior. But more importantly, he's your Savior. Let's pray.